Bill is a failed skydiver and a bear sometimes he runs. Ben's always traveling, an occasional beach bum. Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all. It's BHP Town Hall. Random guests, alcohol, BHP Town Hall. Ben created Eye on Off, he's a comic book fanatic. Phil made Pyro CMS, he's probably in a kayak. Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all. It's BHP. Town Hall. Random guests, alcohol, BHP, Town Hall. Welcome to episode 73 of PHP Town Hall. PSR Unlucky 13 is our topic tonight. Uh, joined tonight with very good friend Ben and also our special guest Woody. Uh, guys, how's it going? Hello. Going good. good. Ben, you've had a particular tumultuous week. Uh, <laughs> I hope that you have a yeah, right. Hopefully, you have a drinker five, like sitting five. Uh, I have half a one left, but <laughs> it's already hundred extra. Well, wait. Uh, I'm not. Is this your first time on the tunnel, or have you been out here before? I just don't know about it. Uh, uh, I, it's either my first or my second. I can't remember. It's quickly scanned a website. Um, I don't see you. I think my other appearance was on PHP Roundtable. Oh, rest in peace, Roundtable. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually a much better podcast than this one for anyone listening. That's because it airs. And I mean, we do too, but to a lesser degree. (laughs) We don't even remember who's been on the fucking show before. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard in the things. We put our livers into it. (laughs) There you go. a very good point. That's like a perfect slogan. Mm-hmm. It is. If we ever get stickers made, that's that is um that is what we're going to um add to it. Um, but so Woody, I mean, like, I think you have like a lot of people probably know your name, but you know, this might be like the first time you're hearing your voice or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. you've been involved with the league with the fig. Uh, you do open API stuff. You had a framework for a little while. Um, you kind of just get around. How does that, like, is that how you planned everything? Or you just kind of attach yourself to a project and then watch it die and then you just keep moving on? And <laughs> how does this work? What are you trying to say, Matt? You're oh, like the yikes. closer of open source projects. Are, there- you, are you trying to tell me that I'm going to kill Fig? Is that what you're trying to say here? Honest to God, I think if you did that, there'd be a lot of happy people if we're just going to be perfectly honest. Yeah, well, wouldn't be me. Um, I, no, I mean, no, I didn't plan any of it. Um, you know the the framework thing i was young and and stupid and had a lot of ambition and not a lot of responsibility and so it was really easy to just um dedicate all of my free time to um reinventing the wheels um and so that worked out for a while in my in my early 20s um then i got married and decided to get serious and got a real job and so the framework kind of died without my uh without my endless hours of of late nights banging away at the keyboard behind it and that's okay um or maybe as taylor likes to say laravel killed kohana but i don't really know what the truth is so uh uh-huh you said that yeah we have to return to sponsorship money now since he's is that all 
<laughs> but by that logic, though, I mean, didn't he kill Cody Nider? And that thing's back from the dead. So basically, by the logic I'm getting at here, he killed Cody Nider. That shit came back. Kohana's dead. You know, I'm, I'm just, it, it could mm, be fine. Yeah, yeah. When is the um, 13? I mean, it's not, it's, the funny thing about Kohana is it's actually not really dead. Like, I know of at least three companies that are successful startup businesses that are still running on Kohana. So now, like, the most interesting story I have about Kohana is I'm, I've actually, I never used it, but the first ever Atlanta PHP and actually PHP user group I ever went to, um, you were one of the presenters there mm. with, um, I have, I don't, I don't remember who the other guy was, but he was from Africa and he was using Kohana as a way yeah. to create a, um, a response network, mm-hmm. uh, things like natural uh, disasters or any kind of like calamity type response situation. And that, that was like my first introduction to like frameworks and understanding anything about open source and all that kind of stuff. So um, that was like shit five years ago or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I still remember you got the free PHP storm license and you were just like, no, I use Vim. And it was like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, no, no. I, I use Vim and I was like, that guy. Yeah, that guy that guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. That's what you were thinking. I was like, I was like, what is Vim? And then the I haven't quite since. The good news is I've grown up and I use PHP Storm now. Even oh, though shit. I'm That's slightly actually. although I'm slightly convinced that it's killing my computer. <laughs> I mean it probably is, but we can we can cut that last part out and send the first part to JetBrains and hope <laughs> All right, that's so, great. I am, I am shameless. I need money. <laughs> the stock market is down, and I have things to buy. But so, I mean, um, to go back, I mean, I think one one question a lot of people have, um, you know, like when everyone says you shouldn't reinvent the wheel, but it is good to kind of build projects to learn. Um, what when you when you're building and maintaining and growing Kohana before? Um, you decided to move on from it. What were some of the lessons that you really kind of took away from the maintainership, the building and the community and all that? Um, one, never try to write an ORM. Um, two, never try to write an ORM. Um, three, uh, maybe don't always try to reinvent the wheel. So use an existing ORM. Yeah, definitely use an existing ORM or don't use an ORM is probably even better. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I think I think the biggest thing is just like to be responsive to what people need. I mean, if Laravel is any indication of success, it's not, you know, I granted I didn't have the, the a proper computer science education and I still don't. Um, you know, but Kohana was successful because I would write things that um, I needed. And so that like focus on developer experience and like doing something that just made sense, whether or not it was super technically correct was apparently really valuable. And Laravel is, is a, is right on, on, on top of that too. You know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in Laravel that people are constantly People who are academic, you know, look at it and go, why does, Lar- why does Laravel do this? Well, I mean, it's the most successful framework out there 
because it focuses on making things really simple and understandable, at least from a high level perspective, from somebody who's reading the code and writing the code, it makes a lot of sense. Um, so I think that's super valuable. And it's just, you know, I would say if anything for, for open source projects, it's like you find a, you find a niche and, and fill it. And Kohana just came along at the right time where PHP, we're, it was during the shift from PHP four to PHP five. And, um, people were just starting to really understand object oriented programming and PHP and the language finally supported it in a reasonable way. And Kohana was at the forefront of that for a little while. So I think that's where we, we were successful. So and you, now you mentioned the ORM a couple of times. Is that like the biggest pain in the ass with the framework or why is that your advice? <laughs> I mean, the, the ORM itself works fine. It's, um, as with any ORM, you just have to be really, really careful about relationships and lazy loading. Um, and the Kohana ORM was honestly pretty good. Uh, it just um, wasn't very good at allowing you to do things in an efficient way when it came to complex stuff. And so it was really easy to end up in situations where you would have, you know, 50 queries um, to display a page because of, of lazy loading stuff and not very good tooling around um, including stuff up front or combining queries. One of my first like major consulting gigs was for this company that <laughs> they had launched a product and it got super successful and they were running four, four dedicated four core servers with 16 gigs of RAM um, in order to have enough power to run their website with something like, I don't know, 10,000, 50,000 customers. Like it, oh, it wasn't that many customers, but the, the memory requirements were insane because of the database was so inefficient. Wow. <laughs> yep. Huh. Well, so you, you moved on for Kahana. Did you move on from it like officially or did you just kind of peter out or what happened there? Um, it kind of petered out for a while. I went to work for a company that um, didn't, use Kohana. Um, I didn't have any time for, for consulting. Um, so I just didn't really do much with it. Um, there were a couple of people that were maintainers um, and they carried it on for a little while. And then they kind of also started to move away from it, had jobs that were doing other things. Um, and eventually, you know, I moved on from that job. But by, at that point I was like, eh, other things have come along, you know, other frameworks. It's been three years and other frameworks have made a lot more progress and her way better choices. And so I didn't care to put the effort in to bring it up to speed and eventually um, just kind of left it in bare bones maintenance mode for a couple of years. And then uh, somebody came along and, and said that they wanted to take it over um, and upgrade it to make it compatible with PHP seven and do some improvements. And I said, all right, great. Let me, make you an admin of the organization and just hand the whole thing on. And so that's what I did. Oh, nice. So how do you, how do you move from that into the fig? How'd you get started there? Or I guess you went from that to the league, right? Yeah. The next thing was, was league. Um, I was working for a company that was going to use um, OAuth logins and wanted to support uh, several different, um, several different logins and social connections. I think Google was high up on that list and, Maybe Facebook was one of them. 
um, and LinkedIn. And so um, I looked around and I was like, well, there's this OAuth package. That's awesome. Um, and I started using it and it's like, wow, this could be a lot better. And so I started submitting pull requests. Um, and at that point, Ben Ramsey was basically running the whole OAuth, uh, the league OAuth package. And he was like, you've got way more time to, <laughs> you obviously care about this a lot more than I do right now. It does what I need it to, but not what you need it to. So have at it. Um, and eventually made me a, a maintainer of some of those packages, uh, along with, uh, Sammy K, uh, who does another set of them. So we all kind of worked on that for a while and now it's been pretty solid for a while. Um, and doesn't, not a lot of changes happening in that world. Um, and then, Fig. Um, how did I get into Fig? Somewhere around PSR seven, late late into the game on PSR seven, and then um, just spending a lot of time thinking about PSR seven and how to leverage that effectively, um, which led me into the the world of middleware, and then the natural evolution of of that. So uh, we started. Myself and a couple other people started talking a lot about middleware and advocating for a new PSR for that. That was, and became the editor of um, PSR 15. And, um, and then there was an obvious need for PSR 17 HTTP factory. When you're talking about middleware and you have to create responses, you have to have some way to do that without depending on a specific implementation. So that was the next obvious candidate. And I did editing for both of those. And that process took, years which is not what i was Literally. expecting yeah um and so but i guess i was reasonably good at it because then they voted me on for core committee <laughs> and now uh, i haven't and then it's just it's not a lot has been happening since then i was not super involved with uh, the last psr that came out i think it was psr 14 event stuff although i'm a big fan of it i, I use it now and now it's been kind of quiet. There's a couple, there's PSR 13 seems to be kind of floating around and maybe getting some steam again. Um, so we'll see. So what, like, what all is required to, of you to be um, like the editor of PSR? Like how, how much work would you say is really involved for that kind of thing? A lot more than you would think. Um, we took the approach, and I'm not sure this is a good approach, but the approach that we took was basically to write what we thought the implementation should be in code um, and hosted that on GitHub. And there were, and then just had pull request after pull request and issue and tons and tons of feedback and discussion. Um, and then ultimately, the closer we got to it, like seeming to be pretty stable. Um, the more that we could say like no to pull requests and issues and be like, no, we're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. um, then the, then the discussion kind of moved over to the fig mailing list and, and dealt with a second round of feedback less so from the general public and more from people that had actually, you know, people that were more directly involved with fig and had been through the process before. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's a committee and it is, designed by committee in a lot of ways. Um, there's a lot of smart people making really smart arguments and trying to figure out what the the best way 
forward is and try to keep an open mind, but not constantly be bike shedding is, uh, I don't know. It's a weird diplomatic process. <laughs> so that process, like the, let's do the code implementation and then let's get PRs on that and really think it through as code first. That seems reasonable, right? Because you do want to avoid this case where you think it through in theory and you put out like an interface, but then that doesn't work in practice. So that mm -hmm. does make sense to me. Do you think there's a better way to do it in the future? Or do you think that worked well? I think it worked pretty well. The only thing that was problematic is that we started with one idea, which was how middleware essentially worked in PHP land before that, where you would have... Um, you had a you had a re request and a response object that were pa that was passed to every single middleware, and they were closures. Um, anyway, there it was called a uh, double pass middleware, and it was basically closures. And you there was no there was no hard interface on what a middle on the the closure that was called to continue the middleware. Yeah, like. Off the top of my head, I'm remembering it as similar to like Express, like Node Express, right? Yes, Where you correct. have like a, a next kind of thing. Yep. You just pass through whatever and it does whatever it wants. Correct. Um, that was where we started. And then we transitioned from that to what you see today, more or less. I mean, some names have changed, but the single pass um, style. And that that transition was hard for people to take because people don't didn't understand that like this is not code to be used in production this is just like a reference implementation with tests like there's no reason to actually be relying on this um but people jumped on the bandwagon early and then we're we're cranky about that massive change and break in compatibility um and even that like even just the discussion whether or not we had done code but that discussion around like express style versus what we ended up with was the most contentious part of, of middleware, for sure. Understandable. I guess that would be a downside of the code, right? If you have the code, people might use the code. Yes. <laughs> if you have the code, people will use it. Whether or not, doesn't matter how many warnings you put on there and be like, this is not something that you should publish a package based on. People will still do it. Yeah. So, um, what are you up to these days? Uh, what's your, your new day job? I work for a healthcare IT company out of Nashville. Um, we've been building a new product since last June and we finally have a customer using it. So, um, we're happy about that. Maybe my, my laptop that's been getting killed by, um, the editor that shall be, shall not be named will, you know, be replaced at some point in the near future. That'd be really cool. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so is, uh, what's the product? Um, it's called... I mean, the, the company is called Rounding Well. The product that we've been working on is a platform um, currently customized for medication management. So there's a lot of, um, for really, really big hospital networks, the more consolidation there is, the less kind of this thing that happens where specialists don't talk to each other. And you'll end up with patients with like eight or more drugs. Um, and some of them may have side effects or complications that make it difficult uh, to be on some of those drugs at the same time. Um, and so our client manages a population of some, it's like 30,000 people and they try to review medications for all of these people. Um, and so our, the platform itself is customizable for any, basically any kind of healthcare 
thing. I mean, it's a fully HIPAA compliant um, patient data and demographics aggregation and, and analysis system. Um, so this particular, our first implementation of this was this medication management thing. So we process um, all of the prescription refills um, for all of these patients, this 30 some ish thousand patients. Uh, and we look at them and do some basic analysis on, on all of the medications that that patient has. Um, and then if it meets the criteria, we, we flag the patient. Um, and then they have a clinician team that looks at all those. Um, it's interesting because I built a pharmacy management system uh, mm -hmm. a few years back. And it was, so we, it was for a hospital. It was mm -hmm. the pharmacy as a hospital. So we, we knew all the patient's medication. And we would, when the pharmacist was going to fill the medication, we would flag it based on like mm -hmm. side effects or overlap or whatever. Um, so it's a similar idea. We handled it at the pharmacist level. And they could still fill it if they chose to, but we also tried to flag it to stop them from filling it if that was going to be a problem. Right. Yeah. And so we don't have any input at the pharmacy level. Um, this is more just about like, um, yeah, looking at patients that are, are on a, a variety of different medications and, and then flagging them so that a clinician or nurse practitioner can, can look at them and, say, you know, this, yes, this is a problem or no, this is not a problem. Um, so those specialists will then, if there is a problem, um, they have the ability to contact the patient and, and talk about it and, um, work with the patient and work with the patient's doctor or doctors to, you know, figure out alternative medications that won't cause additional complications. Um, but yeah, yeah, basically same, same general idea, which is kind of, one step removed, I guess, from the pharmacy. Are you um, are you like integrating with existing EMRs to do that, or how are you integrating them? We do some of that. Um, we don't. Our data stays in our system currently. Um, we don't send it out to other um, EMRs, but we do ingest data from from an EMR. Yeah, to do this. That's cool. Yeah. So I mean, like, because you mentioned HIPAA and all that kind of stuff, like. How much extra, like, stuff did you have to learn to um, be effective with this company? Like, was was HIPAA something like you kind of already knew, or did you just kind of go in not knowing much about it and just had to pick up most of the stuff that they require you to do? No, I had never um, done any anything that was dealt with compliance at that level. Um, a lot of it is really common sense. Um, in terms of security and stuff that you generally shouldn't do anyways, <laughs> in terms of password rotations and, and things like that, and having secure passwords for people that can look at patient data and logging anything that is patient data. I mean, all of that stuff is things that you would kind of expect to have an audit trail at a reasonably good company that cares about security. Um, I think the biggest thing for me was like um, dealing with encryption. And so when you want to run a report on something, it's <laughs> you have to start getting really creative and writing code to do reports because everything in the database is encrypted. So you can't just go, you know, write a 
fancy SQL query to generate the CSV that you need to report on, it's it becomes a lot more complicated. Um, makes it hard to look stuff up. It makes it harder to, um, you know, pull some pull some information for for testing. All those things just get a lot more complicated because you can't very well, you know, like be like, oh, you know, this particular patient has has some weird things going on. Like, let's just grab their data and like put it on a on a local VM and and see what's going on because you have production encryption keys and nobody should have production encryption keys. Like those, those can't leave production servers ever. Like, um, yeah. So it's just, it's things like that where you're, where you're like, Hmm, all the sort of, um, dirty cowboy coding tricks that I, that I used to be able to pull at previous companies to get stuff done really fast, no longer apply. So I kind of had to learn, um, a little bit different techniques for dealing with that stuff. So, I mean, you know, like, it really probably just, like, slowed you down and made you kind of rethink a lot of what you kind of already knew then. Yeah, I think that's probably accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, everything seems to move a lot slower in the healthcare world. Um, and everybody is really paranoid about getting dinged for HIPAA violations. And so, like, if you're, you know, there's these things called BAA agreements that you have to have uh, for transmitting data and um if you use us if you don't like self-host everything we don't self-host anything we use amazon so like there's amazon baa agreements if you're shipping any sort of logging information that might expose hipaa compliance to a third party um you have to sign a baa agreement and so everything becomes like everything is enterprise level becomes expensive it's not easy to be like oh let's just try this service that's like well does this service support HIPAA compliance uh how much does it cost to get a baa agreement with them like <laughs> everything just it's like it, there's five extra steps to everything you do in a, in a HIPAA compliant world and there's nothing wrong with that i mean i'm making light of it a little bit but um i don't know it, it just seems like it's so expensive because nobody really wants to deal with it you know all these service companies that <laughs> love to, you know, advertise their flashy products. And then you're like, well, well how do you feel about a BAA? And they're like, oh, okay. Well, I'm very busy that day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just, just I, like, I was curious when you mentioned HIPAA finances. Um, like, I had no idea. And I mean, basically for the first, there's there's four tiers, which I'm just learning. And uh, the first three tiers can have a, a price tag up to 50 grand per violation. And then the fourth tier has a minimum of 50 grand per violation. So it, it makes sense that, you know, companies are going to care about that kind of thing because that can make or break um, a company pretty easily. So yep. I get it. But like, I, I can also imagine, you know, like trying to figure out which companies you can host with or um, so, I mean, like, does that stop you? Does that make it harder for like finding services like something like Cypress to test your front end or, anything like that? Or is that kind of, is that so kind of okay ground? No, it's okay. Um, it's just, it comes down to whether or not you transmit patient information to them. And so we do use Cypress. Um, we use Circle CI, we use Cypress, we use GitHub, we use AWS, um, you know, like we use all these services. AWS, we have to have a BAA agreement with, and we do. Um, Amazon actually makes it pretty easy, which is great. Um, but for all the other services, it's just a matter of being like having a clear delineation between everything that is patient data and production level patient data versus just random data that we generate for testing purposes. 
Which is some of the games lemmings pretty easy now, at least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty easy to set that line. Yep. It makes I things, know. you know, like mocking and, and some stuff. Uh, we have to spend a fair amount of time doing mocking. You know, at previous companies, it was we we did some clever stuff like just pulling down, uh, you know, 20,000 patient records and everything or not patient records, customer records and everything related to those those customers and then like anonymizing the names and like zeroing out the phone numbers and, and email addresses and being like, well, this is good enough, you know, and then like that just becomes our test data set. Um, Cause it's real world data, you know, and that's like, it's, it's really useful and we didn't have to generate it, generate it and mock it. And it has weird oddities that pop up in production and not other places. And, it, but you know, in a, in a HIPAA world, like we could never, ever do that. And so we have to spend a lot more time, generating uh, generating and looking for those kind of weird edge cases that we see pop up in production and then figuring out some way to, to mock it or to generate some sort of test fixture that that looks something like what we saw. So what, like, as you said, you use Slim and Doctrine and then you're also using OpenAPI for um, all that kind of stuff. How did, like, how did you stumble on OpenAPI and, like, get all that integrated into your, your system. Um, okay. I mean, what, was it like everyone else? We just saw Phil yelling about it and we're like, well, we might as well do that. Um, a little bit. I mean, we had been using uh, JSON API just as like a, kind of a standard. And then at some point, um, we just got really sick of doing validation rules. And so like we have a clear split between as you know, we're, we're pretty standard in terms of like the PHP backend is an API. Then we have a JS, JS front end, um, SBA. And so, um, we just got really sick of writing the validation for it. And we were like, Oh, well, there's this thing called <laughs> open API. Like we should just stop doing this. And one, our front end developers will like it because they'll actually have some documentation because there's documentation generators that make that side of it easy and two like if we find the right thing like we can just use all of the validation that's in the open api document to validate every incoming request and that tool whatever that magical tool is will just generate all the errors for us and we don't ever have to deal with that nonsense or 90 percent of it um and I don't know, it was just like, it was a light bulb one day that, you know, we were just like talking about this and I was like, oh, duh, we should be doing this. And I was like, well, there's probably no package to do it. It's going to be a pain in the butt. And I went on Packagist and I um, did a search and I was like, oh my God, there's a middleware that does this. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. And I was like, and I was like, okay, well, okay, so there's a middleware that does it. It's probably going to be crappy. And I looked at the code and I was like, it's not crappy. It's really good. <laughs> And it was just like, it was such a perfect moment of being like, yes, thank goodness there are people out there that have thought of this before. And it's not, we're not the first ones that are going to gonna do this. Yeah, I remember you mentioned his library, or not, I don't know if it's a him or not. Um, but you mentioned that library last year. And I remember like looking at it and I was just like, this is incredibly cool uh, to see like, because, you know, like PHP doesn't really get a whole lot when it comes to like API tooling and stuff like that. Everyone goes to... JavaScript or Go uh, are like the most popular things I've seen on um, OpenAPI tools or God fucking forbid Java shows up once every yep. 
pull requests and we're just like, man, why do you hate yourself? But <laughs> like, it, it was cool to that you highlighted like that package because it, it was nice to see PHP finally you know coming around like we can build tools with this language too. We don't just have to build websites. We can build mm-hmm. like effective tooling for developers. And so like if that's one thing I like I, I wish more people would build is that kind of stuff. I think that'd be super cool to have around. For sure. And I I think middleware is is part of that and it's nice to see some really useful stuff out there. Um you know I I'd have to go look. I don't know how big our list of middleware is right now, but I want to say it's like 12 or so. Um, you know, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of cool stuff out there and I'm hoping what that is the name of that library or the middleware. Like the, the namespace starts with a something. I think we just need to have a league of extraordinary middleware. Managers. That's <laughs> not a bad idea at all. Um, Oscar, our oh, yeah. trio um, has, he 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 was one of the PSR fifteen members, and he very smartly claimed himself a the middleware namespace on Packagist. So yeah, it's either middleware or middlewares. I can't remember. Here, here's the package. It's called. It's by um, H Carlstrom. Yeah, spelled the sort of Scandinavian way. Um, Open API validation middleware. Is the name of the package, and it's really good. There's also one sitting on the league too, um, an Open API PSR seven validator. But um, the one it's that you, okay, well, there's that. Um, there's all like the one that you shared by H. Carl Strom seems to be like the more popular one, and then also um, I think his name is Karsten uh, C B C E B E has a uh, PHP middleware as well. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I just saw it. Where did it go? It looks like there's a couple more uh, now. Um, yeah, so the CB1 is just a, it looks like a reader. Unless I'm missing, maybe there's another package. It says read and write, but who knows? Well, it's right, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a validator. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're you're right. I mean, so it sounds like I mean, with Carson's library and Carlstrom's library, you know, those put together can create a really powerful open API mm-hmm. middle, middleware layer that um, people could definitely start exploring. Yep. So there's there's three key packages that um, the open API validation middleware depends on. Um, one of them is, um, Carlstrom's open API reader, which is just a thin layer, um, that allows you to like open up a JSON or YAML file and then convert it into a PHP structure. Um, then there's another one, uh, under the namespace Opus, O-P-I-S called JSON schema. That is a really good, it like does away with the, um, Justin Rainbow's uh, open uh, JSON schema, it like is a replacement for that and does a whole bunch of stuff because Justin Rainbow's package has not been updated in ages. Um, so the open Opus JSON schema is a really, really good validator or yeah, validator. So it's the thing that gets leveraged um, to actually do the validation. I wonder uh, how 
because uh, I mean, Phil was just talking on Twitter the other day about JSON schema and Open API getting more um, like playing nice together a lot easier now. Um, I wonder if that makes the Opus library kind of obsolete, or if there's still stuff in there that uh, is I haven't looked at it, so I can't totally no because the Open API spec is getting more similar to JSON schema. Like there was, they diverged for a little while, and now they're coming back together. Yep. And so ultimately, like the open API thing is, um, or the open API structure is like a big document. But then when it gets to the individual parts of that document, they're essentially written in JSON schema. Yep. So like the open API reader part is to like look at the document and then pull out the JSON schema parts. And, and then the middleware is to take the request and like the subset of the data structure and like run it through the validator. And so those three packages play together to make this the validation middleware, and it's really, really good. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. So, I mean, okay, we talked about all the stuff that you have done, all the projects you have killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like, the next question really is, is, like, what project are you going to kill next? What project am I going to kill next? Oh, man. Um, and can it be Laravel? No, just kidding. No, no, I don't. No, that, that, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not David to the David to take down that Goliath. Um, and you know, I I still have I still have yet to actually build anything with Laravel. I've I've done some a little bit of dev stuff and like played around with it a little bit, um, but I've never actually like built a production product project with Laravel. Um, that's not what not going to be the one that I kill. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm not really involved with any projects right now that seem like they should be built. Yeah, I mean, so to rephrase my question to a more um, PG version, like, what do you feel like is, like, what do you feel like your path is leading you onto next? Like, I mean, you've been involved in massive major open source projects, you've been involved with um, leading spec development, which is a huge thing for a lot of people. Um, and so it seems like, you know, like every single step, you've taken like a really big step forward. And so I'm kind of curious, you know, I mean, obviously you don't really know where life is going to take you, but like if you had your choice of like, where would you, where would you want to get involved next if, if you had control? Yeah. Um, it's all, I mean, the secret is Matt, it's all accidental and I'm just a dabbler. So, I mean, I don't, I really have no, no idea. I, um, I mean, not I feel like maybe, you know, stuff with Lambda is super interesting, and I feel like there might be, it's like just starting to gain some traction in terms of adoption, and um, as one of those early adopters at my current company, I feel like that might be maybe what happens next. Yeah, and so, I mean, I, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning, depending on if when we went Yeah. Well, it depends on if the editor leaves it in or not. Like, <laughs> I don't know how Ben does this. I when when I ship off open a- or the uh, APIs won't hate podcast, I'm just like just, just do your magic. And then I end up uploading the wrong one, and we get yelled at. Um, but like, so you did mention uh, your comp- like your team is working with serverless and stuff like that, um, and you're using Breath, right? Correct. So yeah, using how, how is that working out for you right now? Like, is it I've heard a lot about it. I, I know, I, I don't know how to say his name, so I'm not even going to try and butcher it, even though I know it's close to mine. But 
I'm pretty sure I saw Rob Allen talking about it a fair bit as well. Um, and he had really good things to say about it. So it's, um, I mean, it's fucking magic. I, I don't really understand what it actually does. I, every time I look at the source code, I'm like, uh, well, that's what I'm about developer say too. So, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, it's not so much about the source code. It's about the magic, the hidden magic thing about ref is the layers that, uh, Mateo builds, and I don't really understand at a at a deep level. I really don't understand how AWS Lambda works at all. Um, but the layers, the breath layers that he builds, basically make it possible to use PHP like you do JavaScript on on AWS, which is absolutely mind blowing to me. Um, and really cool, and it, it works like. It just works. I don't know. Are you using it more like a Lambda style or are you using it like to invoke Sloan or how are you using it? We use it a couple different ways. We use it as like an invocation for um, SNS, SNS or SQS. Uh, I always get those two mixed up, whichever one it is. Like, so we invoke it at like in an event style. Um, We also use it just as an API like standard Lambda layer where like people start using one of our clients start using the, um, our, our service and Lambda just takes over and does its thing. Um, yeah. Nice. Is it like the whole thing running in Lambdas or do you have some Lambdas and some EC2 or whatever? We have zero EC2. The only thing that we have persistent right now is we have an RDS database and the only reason that we have an RDS database and not a serverless database is because um, the uh, Postgres lags behind MySQL. We use Postgres. And so they just, in the last, I don't know, month or two, um, finally said that serverless Postgres is ready for production. Um, so we will probably move over to that too, in which case our whole stack for our new service will be 100% serverless. That's cool. Has it been smooth doing that with PHP or do you like wish you would have done JavaScript instead or how's the process been? Um, there, there are sometimes that this is the town hall. Yeah. You don't have to filter yourself. I, yeah, I know. I mean, there are times when it's like, yeah, maybe JavaScript would be a little bit better. The ecosystem is more mature when it comes to certain things. Um, but at the same time, I feel like for what we want to do in terms of having a really robust, highly type safe, well-tested uh, backend um, that can actually be like enterprise ready because everything in the medical world has to be enterprise ready. Um, uh, you know, I, I think PHP is probably a better choice for that. Um, I think just that statement says a lot about how PHP has grown, right? Like you said, we want like a, a well-tested, type-safe backend that's enterprise-ready. Like a few years back, we would never have put PHP in the investments. Right. Yep. And I mean, we've been on PHP seven point two. Now we're on seven point four. So you know, the type-safe part of that is. I mean, before we went, before we actually had a production client, um, we were on PHP seven point four. So we have as much as you can be type-safe in PHP. Mm-hmm. We are. And it's great. I mean, our static analysis tools um, have caught a number of things before we 
before we even merged a, a pull request. So that's that's really fucking nice. Yeah. Uh, so I guess let's wrap this up with where can people find you uh, online or in person? So we talked, I think, before we hit broadcast that I'll be at Midwest uh, in two months. Or is mm -hmm. that next month? It's next month now. Uh, and you're out that way. I am, yeah. I think I will be at Midwest PHP in person. Um, that seems pretty likely right now. Um, you can find me on Twitter and GitHub as uh, Shadowhand um, and most other places. Um, Shadowhand.com is my personal website. There's not a ton of information there, but some links to other places that you can find me. What's up with that handle, by the way? I don't know. I've had it since I was like 17 years old, and I like it, and so I kept it. That's fair. All right, cool. Uh, thanks for coming on, Woody. It was fun. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was great. It was awesome to catch up with you. Thanks for letting me ramble, and um, 